Welcome to the Exam Study Expert Podcast, helping you ace your exams at school and university through the psychology of high performance and the science of studying smarter, not harder. It's my pleasure to introduce your host, the Cambridge-trained memory psychologist and exam success coach, William Wadsworth. Today, I'm delighted to introduce you to Ruth Poundwhite, a coach who specialises in coaching people who are ambitious, sensitive and introverted. Her whole philosophy on quiet ambition, as she puts it, really spoke to me when I came across it. And although much of her day job involves working in the business and entrepreneurial world, I think much of what Ruth teaches is highly relevant to students. Today, we're going to be celebrating and navigating introversion, uh, talking about ambition, goal setting, mindset habits, and so much more for introverts and non-introverts alike. This forms the third in a nice little three-part series loosely built around the theme of ambition, uh, which started with David Heiner back in episode 95 on setting massive goals, uh, followed by my little pep talk in episode 96 on You Are Enough. Uh, so please do check those out as well if you haven't already. I think it's nice to get those, those contrasting and complementary uh, perspectives on the world of ambition. And David, for example, uh, would definitely fall uh, way away from the definition of an introvert, I think. Uh, very clear extrovert there. Uh, so kind of really interesting to get those different perspectives, I think. Um, but I'm so excited to welcome Ruth today. I think a lot of you are really going to resonate with her approach to life, what she has to say. I'm thrilled she's able to join us today. Ruth, over to you. I'm Ruth, a business and mindset coach. I used to run my own business as a copywriter, building that with a team and did that for many years. And in the end, I decided to quit that business. It was, a, it was a successful business, but it just wasn't what I ultimately wanted to do with my life. And now I am obsessed with supporting other business owners to run a business in a way that helps them to fully express who they are, really be themselves in their business. So I've been diving into some of your work recently at the book, podcast, some of your, your online work as well. And I'm sort of constantly in my head substituting your word business owner uh, for students, because I think so many yeah. of the things you talk about are really relevant to students as well in terms of, oh gosh, so much stuff I think we're going to get into. And I thought maybe start by actually talking about the the the, the kind of strapline you use to, to to describe your a lot of your work. So the book is called Quietly Ambitious. Your your podcast um, is Quietly Ambitious. Tell us a little bit about the first word first. Maybe tell us a little bit about what quiet means to you. Quiet. Okay. The summary of how I've come to like own this word as being a way to describe myself. And actually, it doesn't mean that I'm quiet all the time. It's far more nuanced than that. But basically, at the age of 25, I read a book called Quiet um, by Susan Cain about introversion. And I was I was traveling through Southeast, Southeast Asia at the time and, you know, classic sort of year out of my life, trying to figure out who I was and all of this. And I was like, here I was, like, I don't know how I came across it. I mean, it was one of those books that everyone was just like, oh, you've got to read this, you've got to read this yeah. at the time. And here I was like reading it like, oh my God, 
this is me. I didn't know this was a thing. And just, I think that people talk a lot more about introversion now than they did then, but just to have all these things about yourself, like how I always used to think I was weird for like being happy when someone canceled plans or I would yeah. stay at home on my own rather than go to a party. Not that I don't like socializing as introverts listening will know that it's, it's, you know, you do like it. You just need to re-energize afterwards. Um, but yeah, basically discovering that the way I was socially, the way I got my energy, the way I needed to recharge my energy, all described in this book, Quiet, it was just such a defining and what's the word, like giving me a new perspective on the way I had been my whole life. And it went from being weird to being like, oh, this is a thing. This is a this type of personality. And there's so many others like me out there. It's just really, really reassuring. This is the bare bones of what I mean by quiet, like introverted, not always wanting to be the center of attention, not always wanting to be loud and sociable, although don't get me wrong, I can be. Um, um, But yeah, this is what I mean by quiet. And I know that so many of the people I work with, you know, that it makes such a difference to understand that part of themselves in that way as well. I think it's probably fair to say that the the stereotypical image of the kind of bookish scholarly kind of person, that probably Mm -hmm. is a bit of introversion wraps up in that. And certainly by no means I'm suggesting that all of our listeners are are introverts. I'm sure we have plenty of very extroverted listeners too. And and I've met some of you and you're very extroverted. Um, But I've met quite a lot of, uh, I I think, you know, individuals that do fit the classic idea of introversion. And I'd include myself in that uh, amongst our audience. So I think that was one of the reasons I was particularly interested to to have a chat because we've never talked about it as an explicit theme on the on the podcast before. And as you say, it's sort of that that kind of magic when you when the penny drops and you realize, oh gosh, yeah, this is this is this idea that I, you know, is part of who I am. It's sort of you feel heard, you feel seen and and perhaps arms you with some practical ideas for what you might do differently as a result of of that. Um the book you mentioned, Quiet by Susan Kane. As a little aside, I was actually talking to, um, I think he was the, the sort of deputy head or something at a, at a fairly well-known private school in the, in, in the south of England. And he said that was the best book on education he'd ever read. And mm. it wasn't about education. It's not mm. about education. Yeah. It's about introversion. Yeah. But it's really interesting that he saw it in that light um, and had all these insights that were so relevant to, to education. So definitely do recommend that book. Go do check it out. Um, Curious then, Ruth. So for you, looking back on your own days as a student, whether at school, university, how did that kind of idea of introversion affect you at the time? What how, what did it mean for your kind of experiences? Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned like the education part of the the quiet book, because I, re- I, I don't remember it all, but I remember it had a lot about like, how can we support introversion in the workplace and in educational settings and I remember thinking when I was reading that book like oh you know all the teachers at school the the comment every parent's evening is yeah she's too quiet she's too quiet she's too quiet like all the time and it's just like no you know I, I did well at school I was I was pretty academic and high achieving um and then but but that was always the point at which I needed to improve too quiet and it's just really interesting because when you look back through a different lens you think potentially maybe I wasn't too quiet for one maybe it's just okay or maybe there are different ways of encouraging (laughs) 
introverts or people who have different ways of socializing or preferred ways of socializing to speak up. Um, But certainly I was the kind of student who was usually head down, getting the work done and always aiming for the high marks. Like that was definitely my learning personality. If the idea of sort of speaking up in class is something that perhaps doesn't come so naturally to an introvert and something is a little bit harder, then then what are some of the strengths? Yeah, I love that question. And I always have to caveat this by saying, if you don't identify as an introvert, it doesn't mean that you don't have to Sure, yeah, 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 yeah. But I do believe that I and other introverts like me are really good listeners and observers. And I think that there is a lot of power in that. I remember... I remember as an adult, you know, I was like volunteering, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I was probably still in university at the time. And I just remember, you know, because I was volunteering at these places like where people a lot older than me um, worked there. And I just remember how I just got the feeling that they loved talking to me. And I felt like the reason they loved talking to me is because I was just so good at listening and they did all the talking. And um, yeah, anyway, but by being a good listener, you obviously pick up on different details or nuances. And I've just always been um, fascinated by the way things work and like observing the world and observing people, observing humans. And I do think that that is a huge strength and the work, and it serves me so well in, I mean, I should say I did philosophy for for my degree, I did history and philosophy. So it's very much suited to that kind of thinking. And then now the work that I do with coaching, is just absolutely perfect. I mean, we all, the saying is always like, we have a rich inner life. And I feel like it's not that you're just in your head, imagining all things and like being closed off to the outside world it's that you're there observing the outside world and that that is informing what's going on internally as well yeah I remember having a class at at university where you were actually graded on your contributions in lectures you know in class and Mm. and I think that's even more common uh, in in the states you know having an assessed component that is you speaking up in class in this group you know there were probably 60 people in that lecture like it's quite it's quite hard to speak, you know, it's it's not a trivial yeah. thing. Do you have any suggestions for, for, for people listening who do find that a little bit hard? That is such a good question. Thinking of my younger self, like what would I have said to her to support her? Because I know that that stuff filled me with absolute dread. So I'm not just an introvert, but I was shy. Like there's a difference between shyness and introversion or, or it's a spectrum or something. It's It's not you're not necessarily shy if you're an introvert, but I absolutely was really, really shy. And it would fill me with dread when I had to do a presentation, when that was part of my coursework. And, and yeah, like you said, like you could be graded on your participation. I think actually that's a cultural thing as well. Like, um, certainly the image I get from, from seeing how education is represented in, in America is very much about like speaking skills and and that kind of participation as well. So yeah, that absolutely would fill me with dread. One thing is, so looking back at how I coped with it at the time, one thing is I did, you know, I did it in a way that worked for me at the time, which meant like if I was doing a presentation and you know what, I guess this depends on the context, but I would have a lot of notes or I would read, you know, I would have it very, very prepared ahead of time. And 
it's really easy to beat yourself up for needing that kind of thing. Like there are some people who you can just, they can just be put on it on the spot and are very, very good at talking. And actually I remember like seminars in university, the part of that observing the humans, I really, I mean, I, I remember learning at that stage in my life, you know, some people are just really good at talking, but they're actually not saying yeah. really great stuff but it just yeah. sounds like they are um so anyway yeah there are some people who are just naturally great at being put on the spot and i have I've never been that way and it's always it was always a point of like is this a flaw in me is this something wrong with me and i do believe we can improve anything if we decide that that's an area that we want to improve on but i think we have to start with firstly being compassionate for the way that we are like giving ourselves compassion for how we are and if there are specific, I don't know, the words that's coming to me is like aids that we can give ourselves to help ourselves, like loads of notes. Like, yeah. and, and yes, you know what? I know it's not the desired way of giving a, a, a speech or a presentation to be like reading notes and stuff, but you can practice and you can use that as something to support you, especially if you're someone who's very shy, like I was. You're just not going to do it otherwise. So cut yourself some slack for that, firstly. Um, and then... The stuff that goes a lot deeper than that, I suppose, is to, there's there's a lot of reasons why we might be shy and really overly concerned with what, how we're coming across or what other people are thinking of us. Usually there's some, usually there's some fear based around that kind of stuff going on. That's why we're shy. Or that's why we're really nervous to deliver a presentation or to speak up. Yeah. That's the... I guess that's the more ongoing and deeper work of understanding what is it in my life that has made me feel like either it's risky to speak up and be heard or what is it that has made me feel rejected in the past for doing that. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that we would work on in like a coaching relationship in business is exactly the same for any kind of situation speaking up, being visible in life in general. And you basically get into a practice of adding extra meaning to your thoughts. So if your default thought is, I am terrible at speaking, questioning it, always questioning it and asking, is that true? Is that 100% true? What else could be true? And what happened in my life that may have made me feel this way? And it sounds really simple, but it's actually really deep work and it takes a lot of practice because most of our thoughts are kind of happening so quickly and automatically that we don't even know that we're thinking them. Um, And for me, I went on this long process, like after, yeah, long, long process and like reading that book and finding out about the introversion was a huge part of it, but, but just unlearning things about myself, like just because teachers always told me I was too quiet does not mean I, there's something bad about me or that I'm not good at what I do. Just because I didn't speak up loads in certain situations doesn't mean I don't know things. Um, and just so it's a constant, I'm, I'm kind of trying to sum it up in a, in yeah. a neat little package. It's not as, it's not neat. It is messy no. and it can be difficult, but there's so many, I guess the core of it is there's so many things that you believe about yourself or that you believe other people think about you that either just aren't true or that you can re-pattern your thinking around to so that they're not so risky to you personally. But always underlying all of this is total self-compassion for when you do find things hard because we are all different. We all have our strengths 
And there's nothing wrong with you if you find certain things like that difficult. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's it's really interesting. You, you were talking about the idea of preparedness as, as a, mm-hmm. you know, having those aids, those, those strategies to you know, mitigate things that you find difficult. And, you know, I'd never kind of particularly linked it to, to introversion in my head, but you're, you're completely right. It's what I do. You know, if someone invites mm-hmm. me on a podcast and now I'm at the point where with the kind of, if I'm talking about how to learn effectively, how to study effectively, I've, te- I've taught it so many times, you know, delivered yeah. it hundreds of times, thousands of times, probably in, in school workshops and coaching. And, you know, I know it backwards, I could turn up and talk about that all day long, no problems at all. But occasionally I get invited on, on kind of more business entrepreneurial podcasts to mm-hmm. talk about the sort of business journey and growing exam study expert. And, and for those, you know, I might like take a whole day out of my schedule and spend it kind of writing notes on the kind of questions mm. they said they want to ask about. And when it comes to it, actually, I don't refer back to the notes. I've sort of now got my, the story in my head. And sometimes I go off piste and talk about things that weren't even on my notes. But having gone through that process of preparedness, it does make me so much better prepared for the questions. And people often say, oh, gosh, you know, you're, you're so much better prepared than so many, you know, you did such a great interview. And, you know, you sort of by doing that work, you know, it's not just to bring you up to the same level as everyone else. Sometimes that can actually help set you apart. Yeah, I love that. One thing I wanted to ask you about the the the, the deep work, as as you put it, you, you know, talking mm. about sort of working on these, identifying these these beliefs that you hold true, and and questioning them, and potentially moving past them where where appropriate. I guess a lot of people listening might be quite new to these these sorts of ideas or the, or the, the idea yeah. that this work is possible. You've got a young boy at the moment, I know, Ruth. You mm. know, as he grows up and kind of particularly enters his teenage years, what might you want to teach him about this kind of work? I mean, the overall thing that I know is like my the greatest wish I have for him is that he is free to be himself and that he knows he's always loved as himself and actually – having a child is such an interesting (laughs) experience in terms of how you look at how you see their personality coming through and how they just are a certain way. Like there's certain things that we get to influence by them and there's certain things that are just their personality and we love and accept them exactly as they are. So very helpful for me, for myself to imagine my myself as a child actually, but obviously if you don't have a child, you don't, you don't need to have a child to have this experience. This is, this is, the work of being free to be yourself, no matter what, is I feel like I feel like the practical aspect of that when I think about him and myself is just to be absolutely, and I've mentioned it all, even already, but compassionate with yourself for how you are. We underestimate so massively, actually, the role of self-compassion. And if anyone listening to this, identifies as the overachiever and you know the good student which I imagine a lot of people do yeah um I imagine that you also hold yourself to quite high standards I mean I know that when I was especially at university I used to work really hard and I used to be very disappointed I mean at at the end like I was really aiming to get first and I did not get a first and I just thought, oh, that was so, I was just so upset. And I like chucked my dissertation in the bin. I was just really like, yeah. And just looking back, I was like, I was so hard on myself, you know, like 
yeah, I felt I, I, I felt like it was great to have that goal and it, and it's totally normal to be disappointed as well. So I'm not saying I shouldn't have been disappointed, um, but I could have given myself so much credit for so much other stuff, you know, not just yeah. the end result. Um, I feel like I've gone off on a bit of a tangent here, but yeah. It's a great tangent. Oh, I, I, I remember how this all linked in because if you are that kind of overachieving person, right, you will often get a lot of your kind of self-belief, self-confidence, self-worth, through the results that you create even some of us are very internally motivated and, and sometimes we'd want to do it with our for ourselves some of us want to do it and and have other people see you know yeah. that we're doing it but for whatever reason we get a lot of our self-worth from that and it tends to be that there's often a correlation between that kind of internal or external way of being driven to our goals and not and and finding self compassion to be something that is not helpful for that. So yeah. we don't we think it's a bit of a waste of time. We, it's not what drives us. We always want to dr- be driven to be better. So we think that being compassionate, like it's okay that I didn't get a first, you know, even though I was trying really hard for it. No, I can't think like that because that won't drive me to do better. That won't drive me to keep. Well, I mean, I guess I'd finish my degree at this point, but you know what I'm getting at? Like it's not the driver. Um, but this is why. I want to emphasize, like, even if it feels like a waste of time to you, this self-compassion piece is huge. Like, if you think of it in the context of parenting and anyone who either has a child or, or not, it, it, it doesn't really matter. You, We all know what it's like to have a parent. And all of us will have different experiences with um, how our parents were with us. But if you imagine having the most loving, supportive, compassionate parent who is always there for you, who supported you on your goals, but also did not berate you if you fell short of them, who knew that you were still worthy and enough no matter what. This is the kind of relationship we're fostering with ourselves when we practice self-compassion. Yeah. I love that. I think that's that's such a such an important message. I think that's such an important mm. message. Um, th- one kind of specific question within that is about the idea of setting an academic goal, you know, pretty much mm-hmm. anyone I talk to has some idea of what they want. And sometimes the goal is very simple. It's a simple pass fail. I need to pass this exam to advance in my career. It's very simple. You just need to pass. Yeah. And there's a pass grade. And that's the goal. Um, other times there's perhaps a choice about what the goal is that we we set out to to achieve. And and sometimes you hear advice and in fact I talked to a gentleman a couple of episodes ago, David Heiner, who, you know, really encourages uh, students to set sort of big stretch goals, set yourself a really mm-hmm. massive goal, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, other times there's a thought that perhaps that idea of setting these really, really shoot for the moon kind of goals can be problematic because, you know, if there's no chance realistically we're ever going to hit that goal, then we're sort of setting ourselves up for disappointment and failure and maybe being discouraged. Um What's your thought on kind of reconciling those two things? Should we be setting realistic goals that are perhaps just a bit beyond what we think we can do? Or should we be setting these kind of big stretch goals? I'd be curious to hear your your your, your advice, your thoughts. Okay. So the thing with goal setting is the reason why there's all this conflicting advice is because everyone is different. Sure. And that is the reason why. Personally, I am shoot for the moon, whatever. I str- I right. set the biggest goals and I fall short of them all the time. And I actually want to normalize falling short of our goals because I think, yeah. you know, it's I still 
it, 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 it motivates me to do things differently and to stretch myself, even if I feel short of them. That said, it's studied that people have different like orientation towards like how they're motivated by goals and stuff. Right. Yeah. And some people are like me and they want to aim for the moon and very, very motivated by goals, very motivated by possibility. Anything could happen. And it's obviously a spectrum, but then on the other side of the spectrum, it's like goals scare me. If I set a goal, I am paralyzed. I can't even do it. Or potentially there could be some rebellious streak in there as well. Like, I don't want to have to do this thing that either I've told myself or some other external thing is telling me. So I feel like the most important thing with this is to be very honest with yourself about what motivates me or maybe not even honest, but like, look at the evidence, look at where you have been motivated before. Cause if you're, if you're kind of new to this, um, way of thinking, then you, then you might not know off the top of your head. So you might need to experiment or you might need to look at uh, what's happened before, but you also have to ask yourself why, like, so in my experience, it's very, although I'm very motivated by big, big goals, it's also very easy to get into what I was just talking about with the like overachieving, overworking. And it's like, to what end am I doing this? Am I doing this from a place of not good enoughness? Like I'm never going to be good enough. So I have to keep setting big goals. And if I fall short, then I'm not good enough. Um, And that's not like a nice place to be in. So sometimes it, it would be favorable for me to take the pressure off. I kind of I feel a bit, it's not quite as simple as that because you you can have big goals without having pressure. But do you, so if you notice you're, you're giving pressure, Uh, you're giving yourself a lot of pressure then you can ask yourself like where is this coming from um and at the same time like on the on the flip side if you're if you find that goals scare you you get to ask yourself why what's going on here like why am I scared by this goal what do I have to lose if I set a goal what does it mean about me if I set a goal or if I don't set a goal it's about kind of self-inquiry and it's a process of trial and error I think and Certainly, if people have not experienced like either side of it, then I would encourage you to play with it. And and if you've never set big goals before, then why don't you just see what happens? Like, why don't you just see how it feels and and play with it? But yeah, it, it actually is a thing that everyone is different. And so unfortunately, it means that there's no magic formula that we can follow that's going to be the best way to set and achieve what we, the goals that we want to achieve in life. Um, it's really about trial and error and doing the work to understand yourself. And there's always, there's always pros and cons to each one. And I think that's worth remembering as well, because sometimes we can judge ourselves. Like I think especially people who don't have the big goals could judge themselves against the people that do, but there's, there's benefits. Like maybe you're really unattached to results and that's actually great in, in many ways. Um, so yeah, there's pros and cons to each of them, but there's no magic formula in my experience and my, and, and in my training as a coach, there's just unfortunately no magic formula. <laughs> no, know thyself. And if it takes a bit yeah. of trial and error to figure that out, then, then that's really good work to have, to have done. I think that's, I think that's great advice. Yeah. I think that's great advice. And you mentioned the idea of higher high achievers and, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, pushing yourself to, to work very hard and, and achieve your best. And I think that definitely describes perhaps not again, not every single listener, but certainly a common, common trait I see amongst listeners when I, when I, when I talk to you guys, sometimes we can end up pushing ourselves to a point where, you know, we start to collapse in a heap 
basically. Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, people start talking to me, oh, I feel, feel overwhelmed or even I feel burned out and the push has been so hard and for so long that you've just yeah. burned yourself out. Do you have any advice for when you kind of get to that stage? And I think it's particularly challenging when you still have an exam to take. So I've been working incredibly hard for the last year. My exam is now three months away, but I'm now burned out. But I've still got to take this exam in three months and still look after a family and still yeah. maybe mm-hmm. hold down a day job if I'm, you know, a professional taking exams. Yeah. What what on earth do we do with that? Like what do we do in that scenario? I mean, firstly, you know, that's hard and just uh, if anyone listening is going through that right now, hopefully I, I can, me acknowledging that for you can give you a moment of, oh, yeah, that is hard. Yeah. And that's a small, tiny practice of self-compassion. And then the thing that I want to say about this is if you are a high achiever, an overworker, your, 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 your default is more in the, in the doing, then it is going to feel uncomfortable when you do something different to what your default mode is. The thing that I need to learn again and again and again is to be with the discomfort of resting when I need to rest. And it's something I talk about so much in my business and my clients are always so shocked when I tell them I'm an overachiever and I'm an overworker. I'm like, that is the reason why I talk about resting all the time. Yeah. Some people are more like on the other side and their default is to rest and they have and they struggle to get going. So again, yeah. know yourself. But yeah, just just think of it like this. It's okay if it feels uncomfortable and it's okay if you have to do it in short experimental ways. So let's say you've got your exam coming up and you know you, you firstly have to acknowledge the work you've already been doing. Yeah. I I get it like I mean, I still have, I still have dreams, some anxiety dreams about doing exams. I I feel you, but um, you have to ask yourself, what are the facts here, right? What are the facts? And you you can go through like, okay, the work I've been doing, you know, I've been steadily working on this and, and okay, there might be different facts that you have to deal with as well. But firstly, there's that. And secondly, okay, how can I pause? How can I give, actually, let's step back a bit, probably tuning in to what it is that you need in that moment. And a way that I used to practice this a lot was with um, journaling. I used to do like, there's this book called The Artist's Way and the and the author talks about um, morning pages and basically it's writing stream of consciousness, literally put pen to paper and write whatever comes out. And if nothing is in your head, you write, there is nothing in my head. You just write stream of consciousness. And the, and the idea of it is that you're just clearing the junk in your head, right? And that helped me connect a bit more with, I guess, although it sounds like connecting with my mind, it was really connecting with my body because it was unfiltered. You know, it was what was true for me in the moment without overthinking it. Um, because that can be something that's very common with the overworkers as well. We're not, we're not listening to what we need. So journaling as a whole, I feel like this is a such a long winded answer to your question, but it's, it's all, it's all a process. Um, journaling as a whole really helped me tune into what I needed. And then I would shorten that practice and I would just do like a little check-in at the beginning of the day. What do I need today? Or what does my body need today? Was my mind need today? Was my heart need today? Um, tuning into what you need and asking yourself, how can I give that to me even in a tiny small dose? Because if it feels really uncomfortable for you to think, I'm just going to take a week off my studies, I'm going to take a week off and I'm just going to watch TV and chill, chances are that's going to feel really, really oh, yeah. uncomfortable. Yeah. 
it's not what you're used to doing and you know that there's stuff at stake if you don't keep you know if you don't um keep your eye on the prize right so ask yourself how can i give myself what i need for half a day or even half an hour and practice it and see how it makes you feel when you come back to it i would say as simple as it sounds when you're when you've got a default mode of overworking you have to practice doing things differently and know that it will feel uncomfortable when you do and then you will also start to get evidence that actually you wanting to control absolutely everything is actually making things harder you will start to see that and see that actually you taking time out you giving your body and your mind what it actually needs actually helps in some way because i think when that's your default mode, you think, well, actually, I've got to be working all the time. I've got to be studying all the time. I've got to be controlling this because that's how I'm going to get the perfect outcome. Whereas it's actually so much of of the work that we're doing is benefited by taking time away from it and by giving ourselves what we need in other areas. Absolutely. I guess if you're new to the idea of journaling, or it's not something you've really done much before, uh, just give us the, the 101, you know, what, what is it? How, and perhaps, you know, if you've got any advice on how we'd, we'd get started with it, if it's something that yeah. uh, we haven't played with much before. Yeah, good question. Because, yeah, I'm talking about so many deep things and ways of looking at yourself and stuff. And not everyone is going to be doing all, like working for months with a coach or all of these things. But journaling actually is a way to do this kind of self-inquiry and even practice self-compassion. Um, and I think that, so I gave you a kind of practical example in terms of like the morning pages and you yeah. don't need to buy the book, although, you know, feel free, but it literally is what I said. People, yeah. people will probably be like, no, but, but, but what else? It, it literally is what I said. You, well, <laughs> I, I might, might have missed out that you're supposed to do three pages, but even then it doesn't really matter. You just have to write whatever comes out. But I think the thing with journaling and I started doing it I think right at the end of of university and it really helped me I guess like when I was at university you know I was I was probably like 21 when I started journaling or 20 and just like that age I had loads of feelings and 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 no idea what I wanted to do afterwards it was really really helpful for that um but I think a lot of us come to a practice or like we want to know oh how do I do this right you know what's the right way to do it? And and basically what I want to tell you is there's no right way to do it, but I do have a rule. So journaling is writing stuff down. And what sometimes you can ask yourself a question and journal on the answers. Sometimes you can just do the stream of consciousness, like I said, with the morning pages. Um, and by the way, there is a difference between writing it down and just thinking of it there's something about the physical process of writing. It is different. So if you're someone who likes to think about things a lot, then give it a go um, if you haven't already. But the one rule that I do have for it, apart from there are no rules apart from this one rule, is to write to yourself kindly. And I know that in the early days when I used journaling, like I looked back on some of them and I was like, whoa, Um, I was not being kind to myself. Um, And it was really sad actually to to see that like plain on paper. But 
you'll know what I'm talking about the more that you practice it because there's a difference between sitting in your journal and writing, I really messed up today. I didn't do all the things that were on my to-do list. Why am I so rubbish? You know, write, just writing in this way and sitting down and saying, I feel bad that I didn't get everything done today, but I I forgive myself for that. Or oh, you don't even have to write it so bluntly, but I'm just kind of putting it quite crudely as an example. there's just a difference in energy. So again, if you, if you, if all that is coming to your mind is negative, you get to, to just be compassionate for that. And maybe that's your process like me, like it was in my early days of journaling. And then I never, ever would I write something unkind to myself in my journal now. Like I for sure will write about how I'm disappointed or write about things I feel like I failed at or like are embarrassed about and stuff like that. But it's never from the point of view of, I'm a failure. I'm wrong. I'm not good enough. It's from the point of view of, I feel this way in this moment. I think that's the difference. I feel this way in this moment. And, um, it's also helps you to realize that feeling and thinking a certain way in a moment does not mean it's the ultimate truth as well. So that level of detachment, I guess, I mean, it's not, it's not the same of course, but it has similarities to like meditating in the way that it can help you detach from some of your thoughts. And I cannot tell you, like there will be people listening to this who are already, there'll be people listening who know exactly what I mean. There'll be people who are kind of hesitant and like, well, how can that be very helpful? But I can't tell you, like there's some times where I felt really bad about something or really nervous about something and just thinking, oh, oh, I just, I don't think I can shake this feeling. It just feels so bad. And I write it down in my journal and I might, I might write how I'm feeling. Then I might ask myself, well, why am I feeling that way? Or what am I afraid might happen? And my, my physical and mental feeling has shifted afterwards. It's amazing. Um, so yeah, my best advice is to try to write kindly to yourself, but also if that's hard, just write and just practice. And this is for you. This is for no one else. Do not ever you know, write for anyone else. You get to be absolutely imperfect and messy and contradictory and have loads of thoughts and feelings. It's your journal. It's your brain. And just allow the, allow yourself to release some of what you're holding by writing it out on the page. Cause that is what it feels like to me. It's like, you're holding all this stuff in your head and you write it down in your journal and you feel lighter as a result. And it's not always a magic shift, but often it is. And it's just, yeah, it's an imperfect practice. There's no way to get it wrong. Um, so I hope that that, I hope that that uh, is an adequate description for anyone who's totally new to this, but honestly, you cannot get it wrong. It, it's quite like what comes up in coaching almost. And sometimes when I'm talking yeah. to clients, you know, often when people work with me at least they, they're they're interested in the practical strategies and all oh, what's the best way to study or you know how to set up my routine and and we do all that work for sure but almost always there's also an element of you know what's going on up here up here in the mind mm-hmm. and you know sometimes just the act of talking it through you know i don't have the i don't yeah. have the i don't have the perfect silver bullet that's just going to instantly transform and you know say you're nervous about exams i've got a few practical suggestions but it's never going to completely release you from exam nerves. Everyone gets nervous for exams, but sometimes just talking it through can almost be the most helpful thing, you know, I, I can offer. And, and, and I guess journaling is a way to, to, to sort of do that on your own, to do that for yeah, yourself, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. Wonderful. Ruth, I'd love to just finish, if you'd be so kind, with your 
I guess, best advice for past Ruth? You know, maybe she, when she was 19 or 20, what would you most want to know back then that you that you figured out since? My biggest advice for past me was like, you are absolutely more than good enough no matter what results you achieve. And I know it's... I know that past me would have found that really difficult to believe, but it's so true. And no matter what happens, you will always learn from it. That is absolutely what I would tell my past self. Phenomenal. Well, look, thank you so much, Ruth. This has been an absolute pleasure to chat. And if people are interested in finding out more about your world, uh, where would you signpost them to? Um, My website is ruthpoundwhite.com. I am on Instagram at ruthpoundwhite and you can get the book, Quietly Ambitious, which is all about my journey to like owning my own ambition in a way that worked for my personality. Um, And the podcast is also Quietly Ambitious. You can listen to that wherever you listen to podcasts. Fantastic. Well, we'll link all those in the show notes. And yeah, Ruth, thank you once again for coming on the show. It's been a huge pleasure to chat. Thank you ever so much. Well, thanks again, Ruth, for that really wonderful conversation. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. I just wanted to dip in again at the end for the brief note, particularly to regular listeners, for the slightly choppy release schedule uh, during this little series on ambition over the past couple of weeks. I've just been really, really unwell over the past couple of weeks. Thank you for bearing with me uh, in the, a couple of gaps in the in the usual broadcast schedule. I really hope to get back to our regular weekly Sunday release slot for you uh, very soon, uh, because there's lots to look forward to, including the looming 100th an- episode anniversary special on the podcast, uh, which is going to be coming up in a few weeks' time. Uh, I've got some very exciting plans for that, so do keep an eye out for it when it comes. Uh, in the meantime, thanks again so much for joining us today and wishing you every success as always in your studies just before you go did you know you can hire william as your very own coach and mentor to show you the stress-free way to ace your exams by studying smarter not harder find out how at examstudyexpert.com slash coaching